Today's call to worship can be found in your Pew Bible, page 551, and it's from Psalms 92, 1 to 6. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and harp and to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are so deep, for the dullard cannot know and the stupid cannot understand this. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Exodus 23, verse 16. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the, fruit, with the first fruits of the crop you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. The gospel reading can be found in Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26 on page 838. Through 38, sorry. It can be found uh, in your pew Bible on page 897. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of the spread throughout that, all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. But when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out the demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the news of God and the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Amen. We've just read a long section in Matthew. 
And there are a bunch of stories embedded in this that we're familiar with. But today I'm going to frame them in a way you may not have heard them framed before. Because what we've been talking about is the importance of our work, and we've been talking about the way in which our work is to mirror God's work. Just as we are created in His image, image bearers, imaged after God, so it is that God acts and we imitate those actions in our own work. We've talked about God being the gardener and caretaker, our work. We've talked about God redeeming. We participate in that. We've talked about God uh, being the one who through Christ touched people's lives, ministered to their needs, healed. We participate in that. And so this Thanksgiving season, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah. Are you, are you ready? I didn't think so. Nor, nor am I. Nor am I. But you can buy a couple of quiches in preparation this evening. And I won't be here, so the bidding may be really low because I'm not around and people won't be embarrassed to lowball it. So I think you should, you know, I think it's, it's worth worth, a, worth a, a try. More seriously, Jesus, we begin this section in Matthew 9 with Jesus saying, he's preaching and he's teaching and a ruler comes. Now this isn't one of his usual friends. This is one of the Sanhedrin. You know, it's interesting how, when we, we, how self-deceived we can be until it comes down to the moment of truth. Have you noticed that? Oh, come on. Think of, think of sickness. How many of you have had family members that knew something was wrong and never went to a doctor until it was too late? Or until a disease had advanced to the point that they were really going to have difficulty curing it? I mean, I, I know people who've struggled with back pain for years and years only to find out that they just needed a gallbladder removal. But they refused to go see the doctor, refused to get diagnosed, refused to get treated, and so suffered in the process. This ruler's daughter was ill. I'm guessing that he called every doctor he could think of every person who had a home remedy he can think of. I'm thinking that Jesus was the person of last resort. And the truth comes home. Nobody can do anything. And so he throws a Hail Mary pass. Although Mary didn't, yeah, Mary did exist then. Hail Mary pass. He says, my daughter has just died. But if you'll come and put your hand on her, she'll live. There's desperation there, but so much faith, too. Why would somebody with this kind of faith wait until this last moment to act? I don't know. Jesus just wasn't the person that he would normally associate with. But come put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus doesn't argue. He doesn't say, wait a minute, aren't you one of the Sanhedrin? Don't you guys always give me a bad time? 
I know you say you believe, but really, where are your friends? There's no grief given. Scripture here just says he got up and went with him. And the disciples followed along. Hey, let's see where this leads. Just then, it says, important journey, girls just died, Jesus is going to lay hands on this girl, and they're waylaid. Jesus is touched by a woman in need. Now, the other gospel records that Jesus stops everything and says, hey, wait a minute, who touched me? And the disciples are incredulous. What do you mean, who touched you? There's a crowd around you. And Jesus said he touched me according to the other gospel because he felt the power leave him. I don't know what that is like. Do you know what that is like? I know what it's like to exert myself, but I don't know what it's like to feel the power leave me. Jesus felt something when that moment of healing took place. And in the other gospel, he identifies, he seeks her out and and identifies her and then says kind things to her. In Matthew's gospel, it's just very simple. She says to herself, after bleeding for 12 years, she's come up behind him and touches the edge of his cloak, and she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. She doesn't want to bother him. She doesn't want to be a nuisance. She doesn't feel like she needs to take up his time. She doesn't need to be worthy. There's just incredible faith again. Incredible faith. She's going to sneak in, quietly touch him, and she knows that's going to be enough. How, I don't know, but she knows. Faith. Two people of faith, very different walks of life. One ceremonially pure, one ceremonially, ceremonially unpure, impure, excuse me. He turned to her and saw her and said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that very moment. Take heart, daughter. You see, the work isn't just the energy that flows out of Jesus. The work is in redeeming the status of the woman who touched him. She is not an outcast anymore. She's a child. She's not someone who's unclean anymore. She's worthy of human fellowship and companionship. There's an act of healing and an act of restoration. There's an acknowledgement of the energy that flows and a greater acknowledgement of the person to whom it flows to. And he doesn't question what right she has. He only commends her faith. And he calls her daughter. When Jesus entered the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd. The mourners had already gathered. They were already ready to put on the show ready to take the body away, ready to embalm it. and put. It would have been days of mourning, by the way. Days of mourning. And Jesus walks in and says, go away. <laughs> go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. Nevertheless, he put them out. And he went in and he took the girl by the hand. And she got up. Gives me chills just thinking about it. Why he didn't choose to do this in the presence of the mourners when he did it in John 11 in the presence of the mourners with Lazarus, I don't know. Perhaps his time had not yet come. 
But in dealing with this ruler, he took the brunt of the crowd's abuse. She's sleeping and proved himself right. We know it was a resurrection, but they didn't have to know that that day. And up she got. Nevertheless, it made Jesus pretty famous, as you can imagine. He went on from there, two blind men calling out to him, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, we lose sight of this one, too. We read past it quickly, and we don't catch the implication of the words. Have mercy on us, son of whom? And who is David? King of Israel, yes. And of whose line was Jesus? David's line. And who was the Messiah prophesied to come from? David's line of the tribe of Benjamin. Yes? Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had gone indoors again, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Another private moment. Another test of faith. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news all over the region about him. Now, I just want to point something out. It is the blind in faith who see. And it is the seeing who, in their lack of faith, are blind. You see where Matthew is going with that in his gospel? A demon-possessed man who could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed. That word is a really neat word in Greek. I mean, it's, they're bedazzled. They're, they're speechless. And said, nothing like this has been seen in Israel. And why would it be? The Messiah had never come until that time. And then the Pharisees, these uh, perpetual naysayers, these ones who have all the learning and all the credentials, and have their sight and read faithfully are the blind ones who do not see. And the Pharisees say it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. John picks this up in his gospel. There's a big dialogue about how that's just not possible. How is it that a demon would drive out a demon? Even their logic failed. And then it says in 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching, preaching, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw crowds, he had compassion on them. What does a ministry or work of compassion look like? Who is it that you show compassion to? He saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Be nice if there were a few more workers. 
Maybe we should ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers out into the field. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the workers, as we call ourselves, gather in conference meetings. Trust me, there are fewer of us all the time. We're not the workers. That's a misnomer. You're the workers. Jesus isn't calling me alone to be compassionate. He hasn't called me alone to lead. He hasn't called me solely to minister to the sick or pray prayers of faith for them. He hasn't called me alone to stretch my faith, to learn to do the work that he did. Jesus has given you that gift and that calling and that blessing. When it says, pray the Lord of the harvest, he's hoping that with your eyes you will see that you, like the Pharisees, will not be blind to the spiritual reality, but that you will see what is possible for you in faith and God's call and claim on your life to work as he worked. See, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you drive a truck, stay at home and teach and raise your kids, own a business, are an executive, healthcare worker. Doesn't matter if you're in the entertainment industry, service industries. Doesn't, doesn't matter where your work takes place or even what necessarily it might be. That's work that sustains and there's dignity and value and purpose. There are ways to go about that with excellence and in honesty. There are ways to have integrity and service. There are ways to expand our influence through our workplaces. To bring about the values of the kingdom even if we don't explicitly or can't explicitly bring our religion or our faith. God dignifies all of that. But we're all workers. All called to be the hands of Jesus all called to compassion, all called to grace and healing, all called to ministry, so to speak. You see, we hold to something in this church called the priesthood of all believers. We don't always model it, and we don't always live it, but what a different world it would be if we did. Because you are a nation, if you will, of kings and priests. That's what God says. You've been called, purposed. His work is your work. I can't think of any more plain way to say it. His commission to us is to do as he did. That's what it means to follow in the path of Jesus. It's not just about perfecting character or learning somehow to be good enough for something or overcoming a particular sin or problem. Those are pieces of our lives too. It's not just about social gatherings or study privately. That's part of it too. It's about doing the work that God does because we're imaged. 
and created for it and called to it and blessed for it and given a measure of faith with which to accomplish it. I want to go back to the psalm. Psalm 92. I'll give you a second to find it. Psalm 92. Read with me. Verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Let's stop there. It is good to praise. So that's one of the first things that we're about, one of the first things that we do. Praising is an act of acknowledgement, which in turn is a work that builds your faith. Did you know that? Did you know that? The hymns of the church, the psalms of the church, the, the words of praise that we engage are not just acknowledgments of what is, because there's always this little nagging piece in our lives of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to do the right thing, but I also really want to do the wrong thing. Lord, I want to go where you want me to go, and by the way, I want to go where I want to go too. Isn't that a perpetual thing with us? Oh, come on. I know you well enough to know that I don't even have to get a yes response from that one. It's true. And when we praise, it orders our universe in such a way that we become more aligned and more faithful and more able to hear and more able to respond because praise opens the eyes of our heart through which we can really see. Now the spiritual reality becomes plain. One of the tools for that is music. But we make that music to the Most High God. Then it says this, Proclaim your love in the morning. Ah, and what at night? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Jesus has walked with us all day. The work of his hand has been the work of ours. Let's read verse 3 forward. To the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. Well, we had a piano, right? Verse 4, please read with me. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. Let's stop there. What is the psalmist talking about? He's talking about the work of the Lord, is he not? How great are your deeds? I'm made glad by them. How great are the works of your hands, your creation, your power, those things you've accomplished, and how profound your thoughts. As my mind focuses on you, I begin to understand more of the way in which your mind works. How great are your works. Praise and prayer and preparation bringing us closer to the kind of faith that we're called to. The kind of work that, that requires that kind of faith. So let's read six together. 
The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass and all the evildoers flourish, they will forever be destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. We're reading in the NIV. I asked earlier that it be the New Revised Standard Version because I love what it says there. It's the title of my sermon. The dullard cannot know. You've ever heard of a dunce or a dullard? A dunce was a term we used when I was a kid. I don't hear kids today using it. Kids, if you're listening, great term, dunce. Dunces were considered stupid and had to wear pointy hats to prove how stupid they were. All right, Dunces and dullards, not the brightest kids in the class, not the sharpest knives in the drawer. See? The Revised Standard Version makes it clear. If you can't see this, you're not so bright. The work of God is all around you. And with His sight, you can see. And the call of God is all around you. And with spiritual eyes, you can see. And ministries of compassion are everywhere for us to engage. And with faith, we can. We can do the work Jesus did because he's gifted and called us to do that work. And he will bless it and dignify it and grow us through it and multiply us through it. Nine years almost I've been here. Still we have one service. People come, people go. What would it mean if we were all engaged doing the work that Jesus did. I don't mean full time. I mean as a mindset, as a pair of eyes, as a point of focus, as a matter of prayer, as whenever God brings somebody in your life to speak truth to, or grace to, or hope or meaning to, or to touch, or to heal in some way, you do realize God gives you that power and that grace. One more thing. Out of all of this, he tells us to praise and to be thankful. And that's what I want to connect us to before we close today. The Exodus text was just to let us know that there are feasts of celebration, harvest, and so forth. And as we look at this week and the American celebration of Thanksgiving, which involves harvest, which involves survival long ago, a story of generosity of native peoples to a non-native people who would eventually treat them not so kindly. But as we look back and remember God's provision, the mode of being that we are called to be in is the mode of gratitude, the mode of thanksgiving the mode of praise, the mode of celebration for the work that God has done, for the blessings that God has given, for the grace that we have received, for the work that we have done, 
for the blessings that have come in that work and for the grace that we've received that we are called to share and impart to others. May God richly bless you this week. May he fill you with joy. May he give you a deep sense of gratitude and praise. May God, out of that deep sense of gratitude and praise, increase your faith, remind you of the purpose that he has in your life, that he's created you for and that he's blessed you with, the calling that he's given you as one who has sought to touch the robe of Jesus and receive that power, that healing, that grace in that moment. my prayer that you will have a happy Thanksgiving and that as we gather next week and in the weeks to come we might together look forward to the advent of our God for what are we as a people if not Adventists right and what does the second coming have to do with anything if there's been no first coming yes <laughs> Blessings to you. The deacons will now attend us and collect the offering. Please be generous as we respond to the grace that God has given. Oh Lord, the dullard cannot know the work of your hand. Make us mindful of all that you are and all that you do. And bless us as we become imitators of that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.